glad you all are here. Uh, starting the new year at church, way to go, good for you. Uh, we're going to be in 1 John today, so if you want to turn there. Uh, John wrote five books of the New Testament. Four of them are named after him. He's like the George Foreman of, um, of, of books in the Bible because he named them all after himself. But there's John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then Revelation. He got really creative at the end there. Uh, so we're going to be in 1st John, which is toward the end of the New Testament. And so if you find Revelation back up about four uh, chapters, four uh, books, and there it is. We're in this series called Reset. And the new year, it's a good time to reset. Sometimes we, we call these things um, uh, resolutions. And so we're going to look at sin. Not the most uh, comfortable topic and not the most fun topic. But we live in a world where it seems as if the definition of sin kind of keeps changing. And the Bible is pretty clear on what God wants and what God doesn't want. And even though society might tell us that these are shifting, God's Word would would be and is consistent on what sin is. So today we're going to talk about a little bit about, hey, this is kind of how we, uh, what we do with it, and this is what we should do with it. And that's kind of where we're going to be today. Let me start out with a story. There's a guy back in 2004, his name was Jerry Lynn. And I don't, it doesn't say in the story exactly where he's from, but uh, from what he does, I think he's probably from Tennessee. Uh, I'm going to go with Tennessee just, just because... He needed to put, put a hole in the wall, and he didn't know exactly where to do it, but he did know there was some ducting behind where he wanted the hole to be in his wall. And so what he decided to do, he was going to get his wife's alarm clock that looked like this. He tied a string to it, and he lowered it from the second floor down the ducting because he wanted to figure out, this is where I want the hole to be. What he decided he would do is he would set the alarm, and in 10 minutes after he lowered the clock down, uh, the alarm would go off, he'd know where to poke the hole in the wall, and all would be solved. There was only one problem. As he was lowering the clock down, he, um, uh, the string broke. So the clock ended up way down in the ducting and he couldn't get to it. Now the alarm went off and it worked okay, and it, he worked, but it, the alarm went off every day. For one minute, uh, I think it was at 7.50 at night, one minute every night for 13 years. He kept thinking, well, the battery will eventually go out, and the battery never, and it's like it just kept going. In fact, at the, at the time of writing this story, I read it, but the story was old. It was, still, it was 13 years and still going. I, I don't know that it ever stopped. And his comment was this, we don't even notice it because we're so used to it. And here's what's interesting about sin. We can say that about sin sometimes. It's kind of out of sight, out of mind. And we get so used to it in our own lives that if we're not careful... We stop thinking about it. So today we're going to think about it just a little bit, what it means to walk with God and walk in fellowship with God. We're going to talk all about those things. And, and I've got really good news for you. I've got bad news too, but let's start with the good news. The good news is this. We're created in God's image. You have the spark of the divine in you. Now, I've got three, uh, I'm sorry, four daughters. Uh, when you get that, that many, you start running out of you know, fingers. I can't count them all. Four daughters. And here's what I love for people to say about my kids. They'll say, like we all get together or something, they'll say, man, they look a lot alike. Or uh, they resemble each other. A lot of times they resemble, you know, sometimes they'll say they look like me, which I really like a lot. Uh, but they, they look like us. There, there is a, there's a little bit of us in them. So it says about us, God created human beings 
in His own image. There's a little bit of Him in all of us. He created us in His image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. We, uh, we can reflect our Heavenly Father. Look, look at what uh, it says in Ecclesiastes. God says uh, He has set eternity in, in our human hearts, in the human heart. We, we have this desire built in. We're hardwired to want to be with God. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. This is really good news. We can be connected to God. We can't be a God. We don't become gods, but God wired us in such a way that we can be part, uh, part with Him. That's really, really good news. Now, I've got really, really bad news as well. We have something called a sin nature that kind of keeps us from this. Uh, when Adam sinned, it says in Romans, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone has sinned. And basically what that verse says is what Adam started, we continue. So there's a, there's a resemblance, if you will, to God, but there's also uh, this little thing called sin that messes us up. Now, if you've ever seen a, a, an apple with a wormhole in it, I used to think the worm kind of bored its way in and maybe came back out, but evidently that's not how this works. What happens with a worm in an apple is there's an insect and it lays an egg on, a, on an apple blossom, and when the, when the apple forms, the, the worm is inside and it worms its way out. Just like our sin nature, it's inside. And it wreaks havoc inside. And... We don't have to let it, but we seem to let it. And the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That word glory is the Greek word doxa. It means brightness or light. Now, what's interesting about that, and the way I had somebody explain it to me one time, it's like um, if you have a lamp with no shade, there's a light bulb and the light just fills the room. What sin does is it covers, it's like a, a shade on our light. So we're walking with God, we're in the light, we're, we're to be a reflection of Him, uh, we're, we're to reflect His love for others, um, but sin bothers us, uh, impedes our sharing the light. So John writes to a congregation a letter, First John. He's a pastor, he has a pastor's heart, he writes from a pastor's perspective. And he writes these words. Um, this is the message we have heard from him, from Jesus, and declare to you. We heard it from Jesus, we're telling you what he said. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Let's talk about this in just a second, but John, if you read the book of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and even Revelation, you're going to notice he uses the light-dark metaphor a lot. This is kind of his go-to, but I'll tell you about it in just a second. Uh, God is light, in, in Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie. I like that John, <laughs> John just sort of tells it like it is. If we, if we walk in darkness, but we say we're in the light, we're liars, is what he's saying. Uh, we lie and we do not live in the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. So John uses these, these light-dark contrasts, this metaphor, all the time. Let me tell you about one that I find super interesting, and I'm not sure I ever noticed it until I took a class, and I, I, somebody noted it, and I'm like, man, that really is interesting. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, 
he had a meal. Remember, it's called the Last Supper, and he had the Last Supper. He had the first Last Supper, and uh, he had it with his disciples. And uh, they were having a conversation, and Jesus says, one of you guys is going to betray me. And it would be the case if all of us were in a room, and he said, one of you guys are going to betray me. We'd all be saying, hey, is it me? Who is it? And Jesus says, it's the one I dip this bread in, uh, the bread in the sauce, and I hand it to you. He is the one who uh, is going to betray me. And he, he dips this bread in some sauce, and he hands it to Judas, and then this is what happens. And when Judas ate the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus looked at him and said, uh, what you plan to do, do quickly or do it now. So Judas left quickly and went out into the dark. Now, he doesn't have to say the dark night because night is dark. He, it's this metaphor. He uses it all the time. The, the point he's always trying to make is this. Unaddressed sin causes us to walk in darkness. It, it impedes our fellowship with God. It keeps us from having the right relationship with God. Sin messes us up. And we have this way of dealing with it. So we're going to talk about this today. What are our, kind of our go-tos? Uh, if, if I sin, I have some go-tos in life. The first one is, my go-to is I lie to others. I kind of let others think I'm better than I am. God is light, and then there's no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not tell the truth. Now, interesting. Psychologists have studied human behavior and have determined there are three places where we are most likely to put on airs. We're most likely to, uh, to, to put on a little bit, to act better than we are, to, to sort of not be ourselves. Three places, the three most likely places. You're going to get one easily. The other two are really interesting to me, but just we'll do a little quiz. What do you think that they might be? Just shout out what you think. Places where you kind of put on airs a little bit. Church is the number one. Okay, uh, you're good. That's great. Uh, one out of three. Uh, one out of three. That's good. This, the, the second place was when you go into a fancy hotel. Uh, think home alone. Uh, you know, you, you're going into, because I know y'all watch that uh, during Christmas, uh, you go into this big fancy hotel, and now you want people to think that <laughs> this is where you belong. Sure, uh, you, you're, you know, in... in uh, sneakers and a t-shirt but you know and everybody else is wearing suits but but you walk into a fancy hotel the other one is when you walk into the showroom of a new car uh, business because what do they do have you ever been to a new car's place i they hate me because i i don't play the game they'll they want you to drive the car and then they ask you this question how do you feel well i feel like i drove a car i mean you know, how am i supposed to feel did you just love it? No, it's a car. Uh, really, I've never loved a car. It's, it's metal and plastic. I, I don't love it. And, and, but but they, they want you to, to get the emotion going, right? That's kind of their deal. And they, they want to make sure, what, what they're trying to do is that you don't want to admit you can't afford it, right? So if, if, they can, if, you, if we can put you in this car, for 7,000 payments of $100, could you do it? You know, Sure, you're going to be 90 by the time you pay it off, but can we do this? That's the third place. So church, fancy hotels, car, car dealerships. It's really interesting to me. It's this place where we don't want to admit who we are. Now, we see that even in certain churches. 
There's one that I drive by every day uh, taking my daughter to school. It's a Universalist Unitarian Church. And they're nice people, I'm certain they're nice people, but they believe, they teach that every path can lead to God. You can be a, uh, you can go through Buddha to get to God, you can go through Muhammad to get to God, all paths lead to God. But that's contrary to truth, because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said this, he's either right or he's lying. He's either right or he was mistaken. He's either right or he's wrong it can't be both it can't be jesus is a way to heaven because he doesn't even act like that's true he says it's not true in fact jesus said the truth will set you free so we can act like we walk in the light but we might be just misinformed because here's the deal when John writes this, he's writing from a pastor's heart. He's not writing condemning people. He, he's writing cautioning people. Don't allow mistruth to be taken as truth. Because there is truth. It's in Scripture. Let me give you an example. Hypertension, high blood pressure. Um, is they, they check it all the time now. You know, I'm, I had a heart attack when I was 40. One of the things they always ask me is, are you, you know, what's your blood pressure? They take my blood pressure. I have a blood, I have one of those home blood pressure things. Every time I go to my doctor, they'll say, have you been checking your blood pressure? Every time I'll say, no, uh, but, uh, but I have the little thing, you know, I can if I choose to. I just choose not to. The reason is, the last time I took my blood pressure, it was really good, and I want to quit while I'm ahead. So uh, I'm just not taking it anymore. I had a good one, I'm not taking it again. So that they always check it because high blood pressure is an indicator of bad things could be happening. Well, there was a guy named Frank. This is a true story, by the way. And back in the 30s and 40s and 50s, uh, nobody really thought blood pressure was that big a deal. In fact, there was a guy by the name of Dr. J.H. Hayes who proclaimed the greatest danger of a man with high blood pressure lies in the discovery because then some fool is certain to try to reduce it. They, they didn't think it was any big deal at all. So Frank got his blood pressure checked, and, and it was relatively high. In fact, it was 180 over 105. That's pretty high. And even at that rate, if I had a 180 over 105, they would be giving me medicine and telling me to do certain things. They didn't tell him anything, and so his blood pressure kept getting worse and worse and worse. And he regularly was checked, and every time he was checked, his blood pressure was a bit higher. At one point, they finally told him to slow down with work and to stop smoking. But he continued to work hard, and his blood pressure got worse and worse. And on April the 12th, 1945, they checked his blood pressure. It was 300 over 190, which is really high. At which point, he had a couple of strokes, and within days, he passed away. His name was FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He, by the way, that is one kicking hat. Uh, uh, Roosevelt... Um, had the information, he just didn't know what to do with it, and nobody cautioned him. Okay, so I want to give you some caution. There's a guy named David, and David says, If I had closed my eyes to my sin, the Lord God would have closed his ears to my prayer. If we have unconfessed sin in our life, it obstructs our relationship with God. Uh, we hear the word obstruct sometimes. Um, in uh, 
the, the impeachment stuff, there's a, a claim of obstruction of justice. That means that somebody was hiding information that would have helped make a just decision, obstruction of justice. You hear uh, an obstruction in the roadway when you're driving in the morning sometimes if you're listening, and what they're talking about is there's something there that's going to cause the flow of traffic to slow down. Maybe a truck drops a, a, a you know, can of paint or something in the road, and that's an obstruction uh, of of the roadway, uh, you an obstructed view. I went to a Ranger game one time back in uh, Dallas, and and it was an obstructed view. I got such a great deal on the tickets. I was like, man, this is awesome. And then I looked at at the bottom. It said obstructed view, and I'm like, well, how bad can it be? It's pretty bad when you're sitting behind a pole and all you can see are the foul lines. So it really wasn't that great a seat, but the but the price was right. Um, we we understand what obstruction means, and so John is saying, listen. If you have unconfessed sin, it's going to obstruct your relationship with God. We can lie to others and act like we're better than we are. And when we do that enough, then we have a tendency to lie to ourselves. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. You fool enough people long enough, then you start believing your own, your own press clippings. Like, I'm really not that bad. I read a story about a guy named Travis Collins. He's a pastor of a church in Huntsville, Alabama. And they'd gone camping, and they wanted to start a fire, but it had been raining for several days, kind of like here. And he couldn't find any dry firewood. He kept looking and looking. And so he tried to start a fire. He couldn't get a fire. And so he decided he would drive down to the ranger station and see if they could point him to a direction of where he might go buy some dry firewood. And he's heading down to... Uh, to the ranger station, and while he's driving, he notices there's a campsite that has been abandoned, and there's a fire there, and they had put it out kind of, but there was still a little smoke rising up from the fire. And so he thought to himself, okay, well, there's got to be a little bit of flame because there's a little bit of smoke. So he goes and investigates, and he finds one log, and it's got, you know, it's got a little bit of smoke coming up. And so he thought to himself, well, at least that part is dry. I'm going to throw it in the back of my truck, and then I'll take it back to camp, and I'll drive on down to the ranger station. When he gets to the ranger station, he smells smoke and something burning. And he thinks to himself, the ranger station must be on fire. Well, it wasn't the ranger station that was on fire. It was his bedliner that was on fire. Because as he drove, the wind kind of kicked into those embers, and it caused that log to catch fire. And, and he says this about it. He said he didn't replace the bedliner because every time he looks at it, he said it's a reminder of a day when I assumed somebody else had a problem when in fact I had a problem. It's easy to see sin in other people. <laughs> it's really easy. It's much more difficult to see it in ourselves. Um, I notice driving stuff. I'm going to use a driving illustration. I use these all the time. When I'm driving, it's easy for me to notice when somebody else doesn't use their turning signal. I'll say things like, nice signal, buddy, or, you know, uh, uh, die your gravy-sucking pig, or something like that. You know, uh, something nice. I'll say something. Um, I mean it in the love of Jesus, of course, and, and, but, but, you, but you notice that sort of stuff. Now, what I hardly ever notice is when I don't use my turning signal. I, I use it most of the time, but occasionally I'll forget, and, and sometimes I'll turn it on and it won't turn off. Which is, that's probably worse, actually, if you think about it. And Elise will say, Daddy, your, your signal's on. It's like, I know that. I'm, I just like running it with it on. You know, I kind of want to do it this way. We notice the sin of others much more easily than we notice the sin of ourselves. The, the story of David, we looked at a verse of David's a minute ago, but 
you'll have to remember that David in the New Testament is called a man after God's own heart. He had a, a relationship with God that was extraordinary. It's not as if that guy never sinned. In fact, his sin with Bathsheba, you all know this story. He should have been at war, but he was at the palace. He is on the, you know, he's at the, on the roof. He's looking out. He sees a beautiful woman who's bathing. He calls her to his house. She's married. He has an affair. I mean, he breaks so many of the Ten Commandments. He, he covets. He's not supposed to covet. He steals. He's not supposed to steal. He commits adultery. He finds out that this woman has a husband. His name is Uriah. Uriah is one of his chief. He's one of his best fighting men. He sends Uriah to the front lines. Uriah is killed. He basically commits murder. I mean, David has all these things that happen. And then I want to show you a verse. Because this, the only word I can use to describe David's action is dark. Look at this. Oh, there's my fire picture. Um, When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought into his house. And she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. I just find that it, that is a, a gross abuse of power. David is the king and can do anything he wants. And he has a guy basically executed. At least he had the common decency to let her mourn. But then he acts as if he's done nothing wrong at all. And what I see in David's life is what I see in my own life. There's a potential, at least for me, and probably you, to do the wrong thing and to justify it, to, to make excuses. Because we, we're good at this. We lie to ourselves. I I needed to do that. I deserve, you fill in the blank, I deserve it. I'm not even sure that's a sin anymore. Yeah, if it was a sin then, it's still a sin, by the way. We have this tendency to be able to, to lie to ourselves. And then that leads to something even worse. We start to lie to God. If we claim to have not sinned, we make Him, God, out to be a liar. And His Word is not in us. Today we sort of change the language. We don't have, we don't commit adultery. We have an affair, or it's an indiscretion. Um, we assassinate somebody's character, but we call it venting. God calls it sin, and the temptation for us is the same temptation. Satan isn't clever, but he's really good. Because the same thing he said to Eve is the same thing he said to us. He said to her, did God really say you can't eat from this tree? And what Satan whispers in our ears, did God really say that sex is reserved for marriage, husband and wife? Is that what he really said? Is that what he really meant? Did God really say that when we're offended, we're to turn the other cheek? Is that really what he meant? Did God really say that... Part of following Jesus is denying ourselves. Did God really say that we pay off our debts even if it hurts? Did God really say that we tell the truth even if it doesn't benefit us? Did God really say these things? Is that what he really meant? 
Are you sure you're reading it right? It's what Satan said to Eve. It's what Satan says to us. It's the same thing. He's not, he's not changed his tactics. He's just really good at it. And when we start to question, that's what it means. We make God out to be a liar. We start to question his word. We're questioning God. Did he really mean that? Is that really what he said? So if we're not careful, we start lying to others, and then we start lying to ourselves, and then it gets worse, we start lying to God, and there's a solution, and I'm glad that John just didn't leave us hanging. Because the solution is confession. If we confess our sins, it's one of the greatest verses in the Bible, by the way. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Remember, God is light. Um, we are to walk in the light. When we're, not, when we're sinning, we put you know, the shade on the light. And here's why I think David was called a man after God's own heart. Because he had a tender heart toward God. Look at a couple verses with me. This is a psalm that he wrote after he had committed adultery. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through, the, through my groaning all day long. Look at the next verse. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Every South Carolinian gets this verse. We all know the fever heat of summer, right? I'm going to tell you the truth. If you all complain about how cold it is out here, I am going to smack you right now. Do you remember July and August? Do you remember waking up and you're already sweating? I mean, you remember this, right? You walk out the door and you're sweating. I mean, it is when, when David writes this, he had us in mind. He's writing this, and I think he's saying, oh, South Carolina people get this. Uh, the fever heat of summer. We know what that means. I had a buddy text me. Uh, two days ago from Michigan, one, one of the guys that was at my church in Michigan, and he texted and he said, man, we sure miss you. Well, you ought to come back. And I'm like, I texted back and I said, if you're trying to convince me to come to Michigan in winter, you're an idiot. I mean, that is like really bad timing. Don't do that. It's stupid. Uh, do it in the summer. Do it in the fever heat of summer. That's when you want to go back to Michigan, not in January. So David writes this and he's like, it was eating me up inside. This, well, I'll translate. That's what he's saying. It, it was killing me. My sin, though unconfessed, while unconfessed, was killing me from the inside. Now here's what, what, I, what I love about God. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. And I said, I'll, I'll confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave my guilt. Now I want you to think about what God forgave. He coveted, he'd lied, he'd stolen, he committed adultery, committed murder. I don't know what you've done, but it's probably not that bad. Here's what I think, here's why I think David was considered a man after God's own heart. When he was confronted with his sin, he confessed it. Remember, Nathan comes in. He says, man, you're the man. You're the one that did this. And David didn't try to hide it and didn't lie about it. He simply said, you are right and I am wrong. And I will take the punishment that I deserve. Go back to our verse. If we confess our sin. The Greek word is homo legeo. 
Legeo means to speak. Homo means the same. It means to speak the same thing that God, the same thing God says you say. I confess, I agree that what God says is right. The question then is how many times do you need to do this? You may have zoned out. Let, come back to me just for a second. Super important you get this. This next little part. God's forgiveness are kind of two separate angles to this, so I don't want you to miss this. There's God's forgiveness as judicial. God is our judge. So, me, this is what happened for me. When I was a seven-year-old boy, I understood my sin was separating me from God and would separate me from God for eternity. And so as a seven-year-old little boy on 722 Maple Avenue in Danville, Kentucky, I got on my knees and I prayed a prayer and I asked Jesus to take my sins away and to come into my heart and guide my life. Seven years old. I remember it as like it was yesterday. That is the judicial part of salvation. God takes our sins away. Past, present, future. So why would we ever have to ask forgiveness again? Well, there's also a relational aspect to our, our union with Christ. If I adopt a child, and the Bible talks about this language, by the way, that we are adopted into God's family. If I adopt a child, that child is mine forever. Forever. Now, while they're legally my child, they may not be my child. We, we may have difficulty relationally in fellowship with one another. We're, uh, we are uh, bound to one another, but we might have a, a severed relationship. It could happen with any, any of my kids, my, my, kid, my natural-born kids, same thing. Um, my, my wife and I got married. We, we made a commitment. It was a lifetime commitment. We've been married nearly 30 years. We made a commitment. We don't ever become unmarried just because sometimes we disagree or have an argument. Sometimes we get out of fellowship with one another. I don't think many married couples have this experience, but I'll tell you what it's like. It's when I mess up and Miriam points it out. Uh, it's what happens. It's kind of how it works. And it happens. And occasionally it'll be Miriam's fault, not very often. But sometimes we get out of fellowship with one another. We're still in relationship with one another, but we get out of fellowship. We, we don't like each other as much as we should and so, often what happens is I have to confess, because I need to confess. Because I want to be in right, not just relationship, I want to be in right fellowship. So I ask forgiveness of God now, not because my relationship with Him is in danger, but because my fellowship with Him is in danger. I'm not, I'm not close to Him like I want to be. I'm not in, in a fellowship relationship with Him the way I want. My my father-son relationship is set. But my fellowship relationship sometimes gets out of whack. We see that in all relationships. And so that's what he's talking about here. When it says he purifies us, that's the word they used to use for somebody being healed of leprosy, which rarely, rarely happened. It's like a cancer. Now, it doesn't mean that when we're saved, it doesn't mean we're going to live a sinless life. Although there are some denominations that teach that, which is a really interesting take on Scripture. I don't find it any way, I don't exactly know how they get there. But I heard about this one old boy, and he had heard that there was a church, and he went to the church, and they were preaching that, that if you got saved, you, were, you, were, you would never sin again. 
You got saved and were baptized. You never sin again. He, he wanted it. And so he walked forward. This is kind of one of those walk forward churches. And he begged them to baptize him that day. I want to go right now. And it happened to be really, really cold. It was in the winter. And the, the river was nearly frozen over. And he had to beg them. But one of the elders and one of the, the pastors said, we'll do it. We'll, we'll do it for you. So they take him down to the river and they baptize him. And they're all freezing to death. They baptize him and he comes up and he says, I, I'm free. I, I don't even feel cold. And the deacon looked at the pastor and said, he's already lying. We've got to start over again. <laughs> we, we have to understand that sometimes... This is a difficult thing. And, and it says that He purifies us. It's not, this isn't a DIY project. We need God to forgive us. Now, we can try harder. A, a lot of what resolutions are is just, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to try harder to eat better. I'm going to try harder to exercise more. I'm going to try harder to not do this or do that or whatever. I'm going to try harder. The problem with forgiveness when it comes to God, is we don't have to try harder. We just have to ask. Now, once, once I've sinned and I, I ask God to forgive it, I should probably stop sinning. That sin, at least, you know. But it's not a deal. He's the one that forgives. This is a picture of Bobby Moore. He was the captain of the uh, soccer English soccer team back in 1966. They won the World Cup. Now, if you know anything about soccer, that's the biggest award in all of the world. It happens every four years, and it's huge, and it's a big deal. And to win the World Cup, if you're a soccer player, is the ultimate thing you can do. Bobby Moore was the captain, and he was going to get to greet the queen. Now, we don't have a queen in America, so it doesn't quite translate for us, but it was a big deal. He was nervous as he could be. He had never met her before, and now he's going to meet her right after winning and he said, they asked him what it felt like, and he said, the only thing I could think of was she had white gloves on, and I was going to have to shake her hand with my dirty hand. Because he'd been playing, and he, so he said, for the whole time walking up to, to, to receive the, the trophy, I kept wiping off my hands. Because I was going to shake the hand of royalty. We... The Bible tells us, serve a king. He is royal and pure and perfect. And our sin dirties us. Yet, if we walk in the light, if we confess our sin, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us. It purifies us. It makes us clean. We can shake the hand of our, uh, our king, our royalty, even though he's pure, because he has cleansed us. And it doesn't, doesn't just affect our relationship with God. It says it, affects our, uh, it affects our relationship with one another. I think that indicates to us that we need to be eager to forgive one another, to be patient with one another. The Bible talks about that a lot. Sin hasn't changed. Sin is still sin. And we still try to hide it. We hide it from others and ourselves and God. And there's still a solution and it's still confession. And the best news you're going to hear today is that when we confess, He forgives. It, 
if David could do all of those things and receive forgiveness, I think anything that we've done, I'm sure of this, anything that we've done, he'll forgive. Let's pray. Father, to be reminded of not just your holiness, because you are holy, and you can't look upon sin, and we get all that. But to think that you love us enough to give us a new start, to reset us, to start us over, to forgive our sins, if, we're, if we just confess, if we'll just admit you're quick to forgive. We thank you for that. The beginning of this new year, it's nice to get our accounts in order with you. And so, Father, I pray that all of us in this room and everyone who listens to this sermon, if we're not right where we need to be, that we'll take a moment, that we'll take the time, that we'll assess our lives, and that we'll be willing to confess our sin because you promised, you promised that you'd forgive us of all unrighteousness, of all of it. Lord, for those of us who've made a commitment to you, but we're out of fellowship, I pray that we would confess, get right with you, and walk in the light. And if there be any of us today who've never asked you to guide our lives and forgive our sins the first time, I pray, God, that you would draw each individual close to yourself. What a way to start a new year with a new leader in our lives. Lord, we thank you. We want to be in right fellowship with you as we walk through 2020. Help us to do that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.